four essential elements for a life of, of, of healthy spirituality or a healthy prayer life. And simply pray, uh, it, 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 the, the way we've organized these talks around pray simply means pause, rejoice, ask and yield pause rejoice ask and yield and what i am suggesting is that this can become a model for your own prayer life if you're new to prayer or even if you pray prayed for decades it's a really helpful model for for prayer because i suggest you eventually work in all four of those elements as a daily expression of your prayer life so we've talked about pausing we've talked about rejoicing and last week was asking part one and, and asking part one was about the prayer of petition and that is when we ask God to move and to intervene in our own lives or in our own circumstances or in our own character developments. So this week we're talking about asking part two and rather than talking about petition, we are talking about the prayer of intercession. Intercession is asking for God's help and intervention on behalf of others. Petition is asking for God's help and intervention in my own life. Intercession is asking for God's help and intervention on behalf of others. Simply the prayer of intercession, intercession. if you look up intercession in, in dictionary.com, it simply says it's a prayer to God on behalf of another. Prayer to God on behalf of another. Now, although it's intended to be altruistic in that I'm thinking of others, the fact of the matter is as a tool for your spiritual growth and as a means of engaging in character development, intercession is one of the best practices that you can incorporate into your life. Because if you give yourself over to intercession, it doesn't just change the life of the one for whom you're praying, it actually has an impact on the development of your own heart. You will begin to see people differently. You will begin to care in a new way. Intercession works on the intercessor as much as it works on those for whom the intercessor is praying. So sometimes I go to intercession with a spirit of anger. And so I've learned to process my anger toward individuals, first of all, in the prayer closet. And, uh, but when I do, oftentimes I go to intercession wanting to stay angry, but by the time I engage and, and I'm in partnership with the Spirit and interceding on others, I have to let that anger go. I have to lay it down. I have to begin the first movement toward forgiveness and generosity and graciousness there in the prayer closet in the presence of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe I will come because of obligation, because someone asked me to pray for them, or because there was something on the prayer list or on the prayer chain email that came out from the church. But maybe the truth is I'm preoccupied with my own life and I engage in that prayer from a spirit of apathy. I'm quite apathetic when I go to to it i'm unmoved emotionally but oftentimes in the context of intercession as the as i partner with the spirit to pray beyond my own capacity uh, oftentimes what happens is that spirit of ap apathy is um is, is is pushed to the distance and i'm called to be proactive and what i really love about intercession is that uh, it, it creates space for the holy spirit to move me to be part of the answers to the prayers that i'm praying and so when I do that, I move away from apathy into proactive caring, and that caring moves me into action. And that action hopefully is a blessing to them, but the truth of the matter is those little micro actions are the ones that create a macro character. 
It happens just a little bit at a time. So intercession is a very powerful um, practice, not only in my ability to reach out to others, but also in my own development. But also intercession, we have to recognize, is an expression of love. It too often times, particularly if you've gone through some sort of deconstruction process with your faith, it's really easy to see prayer as simply as a cliche and just something that Christian people say when they don't know what to do. And I'm not saying that that's never happened to you. Maybe it is. Maybe someone has said pray about it just as a means of blowing you off. But that doesn't excuse, create, that doesn't excuse cultivating a cynical attitude as though prayer is just like just kind of little, some kind of trinket thing that we kind of add to the ornament of our busy lives. The truth of the matter is you can't come away with the scripture without being convinced that to follow God in part means to trust him for radical, miraculous things both in your life and on behalf of others and on behalf of the community in which you live. And so it's not just a privilege, it is an obligation for those who follow Jesus to as part of that expression of following Jesus to give themselves over to lives of passionate, powerful, effective prayer on behalf of others. That's one of the ways we're actually able to love, and I don't think that it is a replacement or it is a somehow smaller action than actually being present to love someone. I think it's a real tangible expression of love if we take time to intercede. In fact, Richard Foster has said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. Intercession is a way of loving others. For followers of Jesus, loving others is more than prayer. I agree with that. However, it is never less than prayer. Loving others is more than prayer, but it is never less than prayer. Because when we take time to intercede, especially if you take time to intercede for those who are challenging you, those who make you angry, those who annoy and irritate you, or those who might be put in the category of your enemy. What happens is the process of intercession bathes our motives in the presence of God. And when our motives are bathed in the presence of God, we are often set free from a host of unhealthy assumptions that we're making about the people that we might be praying for. So, so intercession bathes our motives in the presence of God. It's a way of marinating in the heart of God because ultimately what I want to move toward when I pray from others is getting out of just the, the, the um, myopic perspective of my own little heart and actually tap into the magnanimity of the heart of God on behalf of others. And the process of intercession invites me to participate into that process. So, for your practice of intercession, there are four elements that I would suggest that we contemplate and seek to begin to uh, uh, integrate into our practice of prayer. Get informed, get inspired, get indignant, and get in sync. 
Get informed, get inspired, get indignant, and get in sync. So let's take a few moments to look at each of those. First of all, to get informed. What does that mean? It means take time to figure out what's going on. If not, it's not always appropriate to do that. Sometimes you know someone's hurting, you know someone's in turmoil, and it's not appropriate for them to, um, to give you the details. And so that's when we appreciate the fact that Romans tells us that the Spirit knows what we need and that he prays through us with groanings that are too deep for words because he searches out the motives of the heart. So luckily, when I don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit knows how to pray. And my being present uh, to the, the, the presence of God on behalf of others has meaning even when I don't totally understand what's going on. But when it's appropriate, it's also a very powerful thing to get informed. What's happening? What's going on? Why are you grieving? What's taking place? Or maybe if you are praying for some sort of um, major crisis, like, for example, what we see perhaps happening in Afghanistan, you're taking time to, to maybe look up some news articles and kind of understand the complexity of what's taking place. Wherever our, your politics may be, political realities are never simple. And they're never, they can never be summed up in memes and bumper stickers and sound bites. So take some time to understand the complexity of what's going on so that you're not just praying your ideology, but you're actually taking time to enter in and so you are becoming a more compassionate human being because you are exercising your ability to grow in your understanding and empathy even for your ideological enemies. So you take time to get informed or if it's with an individual, one of the most beautiful parts of prayer is the discussion that can happen when you just simply say, how can I pray for you? And then th there is something spiritual and healthy, emotionally healthy, and even therapeutic for people even to be able to take time to dialogue with you and say, here's how you can pray for me and here's why. Because you are inviting them into space where they get to share their humanity with you. And I am convinced one of the most profound and powerful callings as a Christian and as a human being is taking time to bear witness to another human being's experience. It, this is the one thing, it, it is rare for someone to be in youth ministry for nearly 20 years. And, and there, were whole, there were times when I argued with God about that reality. I, I, I won't pretend that I didn't. But one of the values and privileges of being in youth ministry for 20 years is you get to know someone at 14 and at 34. That is a profound privilege, and I consider it an honor that I was able to do that because the best youth ministry, I don't know why I'm going off on this, but I think it has to do with all of our relationships, is that you get to bear witness to someone's becoming. And that is sacred. That is holy. That's what you get to do as a parent. That's what you get to do with lifelong, decade-long friendships is you are privileged to bear witness to someone else's becoming. And so that exchange allows a powerful connection of humanity and the Holy Spirit dwells in that space. He hovers in that space in the same way as the Spirit hovered over the, the waters in Genesis chapter 1. He hovers in that space where we get to exchange the reality of our broken humanity with one another. So, so, so it's not just information. It's really learning to enter into the empathy of the situation of someone else. So you take time to ask questions so that you pray not just generically, but you actually pray specifically. 
But in addition to asking the person, you always are welcome to say, Holy Spirit, how should I pray? I don't really know here, Lord. What would be best? How should I pray? And sometimes, maybe not every time, sometimes the Spirit will begin to whisper, soften your heart, give you insight and understanding and empathy that you didn't have before. And now you're not just praying with your rational mind, but you're praying intuitively from your gut. So we take time to ask those questions. Secondly, we get inspired. I tried to limit this a little bit. Uh, I think that sometimes um, when you look at scriptures that people reference for intercessory prayer, there's a temptation to kind of take them out of the context. But what I want us to do is take a look at some of these scriptures just to kind of see how the, uh, the priority of intercession both in the life of Jesus and in the life of the early church. So let's just walk through a survey of a, few, a handful of these scriptures this morning. And they'll be in your notes. They'll probably be over in the overhead, but they're also in your handout. Number one, get inspired by the scripture. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. This is the context in which... Um, um, Peter is making his great pronouncement that he will never defy the Lord, deny the Lord, and and Jesus already knows prophetically that in fact he will deny him three times that night. And this is Jesus, the incarnate um, manifestation of Yahweh, their God. And even Jesus had a powerful and rhythmic and regular life of prayer. And this is what he says about that situation with Simon. He says in verse 31, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now, what I would have assumed would happen next if I were Simon, Peter, and I was serving the Lord and Savior, Messiah, Jesus, is that I would expect him to say, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but don't worry because I said no. That's what I signed up for personally is that God to get my back on things. That is not what he says. Look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You see, it's not always appropriate to pray God deliver them from that circumstance because that difficulty that they would rather avoid might be exactly what they need in order for their character to grow and for God to bring them where they need to be. We always assume that the best prayer is deliverance, but it is not. And if we look through the stories of the Old and New Testament, we see God's way is not always to deliver us from difficulty. Oftentimes, it is to empower us to endure. And what Jesus said is that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, I didn't tell him no, but what I did do is better. I prayed that your, what does he say exactly? I pray that your faith would not fail. And that because of that circumstance and because of your experience of your faith not failing in that difficulty, I then further prayed that when it's all said and done, you will then be a source of strength to others. So Jesus employed this act of mindful intercession. That's what I mean by getting informed. He didn't just say, no, Satan, you can't have him. Get your hands off. He said, well, Lord, then I pray that you would sustain Peter's faith as he sifted like wheat by his enemy. And after sustaining his faith and that it doesn't fail, then let him grow from that and be someone through whom others are blessed. 
because of his trial. So, so we pray with information. Sometimes our loved ones don't need to be delivered from their circumstance. They need to run into the presence of God in the darkness. And that's what God has for him. So, so we're learning to mature in our, even our prayer requests after the model of Jesus. Uh, a second one is John 17, which is great. Because in John 17, verses 20 through 23, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in the Bible we have recorded Jesus taking a moment to pray for you. Specifically. He says in John 17, starting in verse 20, I pray not only for these, which means the people that are there presently with him hearing his prayer. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That is you. That is me. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be, so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. It's amazing. There are so many books and seminars and conferences and, and gurus to listen to about how you do a better job evangelizing your city. And yet right here in John 17, in the span of three verses, we're given the best way to evangelize and proclaim to the world that we belong to Jesus is doing the hard work of becoming one with one another. And as we become one, as we express that unity, both not just in an individual congregation, that's, that's part of the hindrance, I, I think, because we read that and we read, this is good for my congregation. No, this is good for the church at large, whether they are Methodist, Church of Christ, non-denoms, uh, charismatic, Pentecostal, Episcopal, uh, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. The goal is for the body of Christ to express some sort of unity. And how many of you know that we need the intercession of John 17, especially after 2020 and 2021, with the way we've all treated one another? We desperately need to live into uh, the reality of this prayer that Jesus prayed. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 5. This is one in which Jesus, uh, if you look at Acts chapter 12, Jesus, Peter is in prison, and the end of the story is, as a result of prayer, there is a miraculous deliverance and Peter is released from prison. But 12.5 simply says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Now in a moment, we're gonna talk about getting indignant, but that's what I'm talking about here. This was not just, a, oh, oh, did you get that email about Peter? He's in prison. We need to be sure to say a quick word of prayer for him. Um, what we, oh, lasagna, fantastic. Lasagna, put the garlic bread here. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and take a minute pray for Peter. Lord, thank you for this delicious lasagna that I'm smelling and salivating over and help Peter in prison. Amen. Go. That is not what they did. This is fervent, directed prayer. They're taking time together to gather together and say, our brother is suffering. We are going to give ourselves over to praying for his miraculous intervention maybe, or maybe they're praying for the sustaining of his faith because they don't know. I mean, you never know. Sometimes they get healed, sometimes they don't. But you can still fervently pray for the healing anyway. 
Because we don't know the mind of God. We don't know the will of God. But what we do know is we have these bits and pieces that in the mystery of the way this universe works, we get to be privileged with causality. We get the privilege of causing things to happen because of the way we engage with God in a spirit of intercession on behalf of others. And that's what happens here. You go to the book of Acts. There, the book of Acts, the story reads like there is no deliverance without the church praying fervently. There is a connection. But you say, God can do whatever he wants. And he knew, I get all that. I get it. But I'm sorry, you're gonna have to talk to another theologian that is way above my pay grade. I don't know how to answer all those questions. And to be honest, if I start investigating answers to those questions, the result for me is just apathy and cynicism. And I just like, ugh, you're right. There's no really mystery power to prayer. Let's just not pray and get on with the business of figuring answers out to life. Because that's the way to live a good life is have all the answers, right? I don't know. It is as confusing to me as it is to you. It is as heartbreaking to me as it is to you when I pray fervently trusting God to do something on behalf of someone that I love and he doesn't do what I ask. I I get it. All of those things, same with me. However, at the end of the day, if I'm going to be a Christian who follows Jesus and give any merit to the authority of Scripture, I can't come away from that book without recognizing there are some things that the Bible seems to say happen only in response to God's people praying. And this story is one of them. They prayed fervently for Peter. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 5, these are Paul's instructions to Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for the kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all goodness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Look at this. Prayers and petitions and thanksgiving being made for everyone. Look at verse 2. For kings and for those in authority. I grew up in Bible Belt, southern Oklahoma. In the religion that I was given, the mood was if you faithfully love Jesus, you are a Republican and you vote Republican. And if you know someone who's a Democrat and votes Democrat, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware. And so when it came time to prayer movements for a president, when a Republican president came into office, we sent out flyers and talked to everyone about how important it was to pray for our president, pray for his protection, pray for his preservation, pray for his wisdom. And then a Democratic president would get elected and crickets. We didn't have flyers and telling everybody. And if we did pray, we didn't pray for, we prayed against. Do you see how foolish this is? This is the beautiful bride of Christ taking her cue from the direction of the world, not from her betrothed. We are called to pray for everyone, not for some and against others, but for everyone. Whether your man and woman is in office doesn't matter. The call to the follower of Jesus is to live above the political noise of the surrounding culture and pour our hearts out with God in intercession that he will move on behalf of those whoever it is carry the the vast responsibility on their shoulders of leading a country or a nation.
This is what we are called to do. This is part of the instruction that Paul gives this young pastor in this church. And he doesn't just say, I suggest. He says what? What does he say? I urge, I urge, I urge. Prayers, petitions, thanksgiving, and intercessions to be offered up by everyone. Intercessory prayer is not an activity of the church. It is the identity of the church. Intercessory prayer is not an activity of the bride of Christ. It is part of the identity of the bride of Christ. This is what we are called to do and how we're called to participate in what God is doing in our generation. He goes on to say, uh, uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is an example of how Paul prayed. This is how Paul offered up intercession on behalf of others. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So if you're here this morning and say, I'm kind of intimidated by prayer, I don't really know what to do, I feel uncomfortable. Hey, I got a solution for you. The next time you're in your prayer group and people are offering up their prayers, just turn over to Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11. And whoever you're praying for, you say, let's say you're praying for the pastor. And I pray, I pray that Artie's love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. I pray that he would be able to approve things that are superior and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. I pray that he would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ. See, this is good praying. And you really, it's not that complicated. If we'll read the scriptures, you'll learn to pray. Because the scriptures are full of prayers and language for prayer. And this is a side note, but one of the things that you'll find that happens if you will give yourselves over to a disciplined season of learning how to pray the intercessory prayers of scripture, what will happen at the end of that season is you will have a vocabulary of prayer. And that vocabulary will have been informed by the scriptures that are God-breathed and profitable. And so that allows you to begin to extend your vocabulary of prayer beyond just maybe the narrow emotional experiences of my own private life. I get to have a more robust prayer life because the scriptures give me a vocabulary. So get informed, get inspired, get indignant. Now the informed is about, you know, talking to the person, but I think I have thoroughly inspired you with my reference to these scriptures. So you can check that off. And then finally, you've got get indignant. What does indignant mean? If you look at dictionary.com, it says it's a feeling. It's characterized by or expressing strong displeasure at something considered unjust, offensive, insulting, or base. Now, what time is it? Look at my timer here. Christians are great about getting indignant about their ideology. And they're great about getting indignant and finding their ideological enemies and going on the attack. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about bringing my indignance into the presence of God and recognizing that I don't wrestle with flesh and blood, with the powers and principalities and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God. 
And so it's not enough for me to just get mad at a situation or mad at an individual. What I have to be moved by is the indignant reality that God's will is not being honored in some particular circumstance or situation or in someone's life. When a seven-year-old girl is being trafficked for the sexual perversion of someone else, God's will is not being done and his kingdom is not being enforced in that circumstance. So I become indignant in the place of prayer and I ask God to move miraculously in that situation. Maybe I get informed and I learn about the work of the International Justice Mission. And so then I add that to my prayer list. Lord, empower with wisdom and spiritual power those working through the international justice system to help liberate and free captives from that sick perversion. But maybe in that indignant state of mind, the spirit begins to move on my soul. And all of a sudden, I'm given a ministry and a passion and a place of service that's well beyond anything I could have imagined. Because it came out of that place of being indignant in the place of prayer over injustice that's taking place in the world. It began with praying for the situation. Then it began to be praying for people who were doing something about it. And then the Spirit said, now you get up, leave the prayer closet, hit the streets, and now here's what you can do about that. So now you get to be part of the answer to your intercessory prayers. But that doesn't happen if my prayer is passive and apathetic. I have to, do you remember this? This, this scripture we are always quoting. I captured it in my phone this morning while I was praying. Luke 10, 27. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, when I grew up, uh, all your mind meant that you think good thoughts. You believe right doctrine. And again, I'm a total novice and at, at speaking about what I'm about to speak about, so I probably shouldn't speak about it at all, and I may regret it later. But if I misstep, you can buy me a Reuben and a cup of coffee, and I will gladly indulge that conversation. But one of the things I find fascinating is reading about brain science and about the way that God has put together the communication between the left and right hemisphere of the brain. And as I'm reading this, all of a sudden the Spirit drops the remembrance of this verse into my head. Love the Lord with all your mind. And if you read brain science, at least the popular version of it, you'll learn that we all have a proclivity to either live primarily out of the left hemisphere of the brain, or we have a temperament to live out of the right hemisphere of the brain. And they have two different functions and two different emphases. But my point is this. I think that we're invited to engage all of our mind. So the left is the logic, it's the information. The right is the feeling, it's the emotion, it's the passion. And I think that when we love God with all of our mind, it means that we love God with our logic and with our emotion and with our feeling. And so that's what being indignant in prayer allows me to do. Walter Wink once wrote and said this, intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Move beyond passionless, casual, apathetic prayers to praying with your heart. 
Allow your heart to reach out and touch God's heart. Again, this is the last time we'll get nerdy this morning, but, and, and, and I'm not, I'm using these words because they're accurate, but I'm not pretending like I'm an expert here. Like I said, I took just enough Greek in Bible college to say a few things to hopefully impress a few people. That's it. So I'm not claiming to be a Greek expert, but if you look at the Greek of the Lord's Prayer, these verbs in the Lord's Prayer are written in what is called the imperative mood. In other words, the imperative move suggests more of a command than a request. So in our English translations, we, re we read, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the imperative mood is actually more like, come, kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, on earth just as is in heaven. Do you see the, the spiritual defiance in there? When I see God's will's not being done, God's kingdom isn't being manifest, and I'm not just requesting very nicely and apathetically for God to do something, I am calling out to my God and asking him to enforce his will and to manifest his kingdom. This is not casual, passive praying. This is engaging with the mysteries of the universe and asking God's kingdom to come to bear on issues of injustice. Anytime the abundant life of the king is being hindered is a time to become defiant in our prayer for others. If you want some, some cinematic examples, although I don't endorse all the content of all the movies that I reference, uh, one of my favorite movies is The Apostle with Robert Duvall. Now, I'm hesitant because it's, I'll be honest with you, 99% of the time, that I have enthusiastically, enthusiastically suggested that movie, people come back vastly disappointed. So just be known, I totally oversell this movie according to 99% of the people that I talk to. Uh, but there's this fantastic scene in The Apostle where he's messed up his life. I mean, he's a very human preacher. Uh, he has screwed up his life with terrible choices. And I think he's got the youth pastor in a coma because he hit him in the throat with a bat. So he has issues, I'm not, I understand. Uh, but of course, he rightly loses his job over that, and he has to go on the run from the law. And there's this great breakdown that he has up in the attic of his room where he, the neighbors are calling and they're threatening to call the police because they can't sleep because of the way he's indignantly crying out and lamenting before the Lord about his situation. It's a fantastic scene, and what's really great about it is that God doesn't really answer nor speak to him in that context. Another example I watched the other day, I came in and, and uh, my daughter was watching, um, which my daughter turns 23 Tuesday. That's why my prayer list is all on the front row this morning because uh, they all got to come in. Happy birthday, Abby. Uh, 23, not 22. She's already 22. Anyway, she was watching, um, oh my goodness, it's so embarrassing. The movie, it's a Christian. Every pastor should know it. It came out a few years ago about a family, Marriage on the Rocks. War Room, that's it, War Room. Uh, she was watching War Room, and at the end of it, they have the character Miss Clara saying an intercessory prayer. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's like that movement is like outside of just the narrative of the, of the story. It's actually the actress pouring out her, God, her heart and asking God to move, I think kind of like in the nation. 
So anyway, it's another great example of what I'm talking about, though. If you watch, now listen, you may not have the same personality as Miss Clara. Maybe that's not for you. But it's a fantastic model of how an elder saint engages in a spirit of godly defiance in her prayer. And so, so you, you could do worse than watching War Room tonight and taking some tips. And finally, pray in sync. Take time to carve time out to pray with others who will faithfully agree with you in prayer. Much of the supernatural answers to prayer in the book of Acts always follows a time of group prayer. Not every time, but much of the time, it follows an example of group prayer. So, what I have done in your, um, in your notes, and the worship team can begin to make their transition, uh, what, what I have done is I put a link, uh, www.kevinholloran.net, and I'll be honest, I don't know this guy, so please... <laughs> If you get on his site and you start digging around and you find some heresy, I'm not endorsing it. Buy me a Reuben and I'll explain it to you. Um, but uh, uh, he has listed on his website the uh, Paul's apostolic intercessory prayers that we find in the Bible. It's like a four-page document. It is fantastic. Um, take a moment. Take a look at it on your phone. If for some reason you can't get it, but you, but you just want to be able to digitally click the link, if you will text me or email me, I will text or email you the link so you'll have it right there on your phone. It is a very, very helpful tool. And so what I did when I learned to pray is I got a copy of what was called Mike Bickle's Intercessory Prayer List. And it was essentially just a collection of all the intercessory prayers in the Bible. That is where I really grew in my path. Well, one of the places I grew in my passion for prayer, but I learned a better vocabulary for prayer. So, without further ado, we're going to practice that. So, take your notes. You have them there with you. Let's, um, let's be a little sensitive. I know that we like to do kind of the mood thing with the lights, and I agree with it. I like the aesthetic, but in this case, I really want people to be able to see their pages. So, after we pray, let's wait and dim the lights after we pray. Would you all stand, please? So what I want you to do is take a moment to just put this into practice. I want you to think about someone you know desperately who needs God's intervention. If you can't think of anyone, honestly, you pray for your partner. I am really, really for emotional health counseling and therapy. But if we're not praying for our partner, marriage books and marriage seminars and marriage therapy will have a limit to their effectiveness. I didn't say they would be ineffective. I didn't call them a waste of time, but I said there'll be a limit to their effectiveness. If you're concerned about your marriage, first place to begin is in the prayer closet. Even before love language tests, even before temperament tests, even before calendaring date nights, all of which are activities I endorse, begins in your prayer closet. So if you don't have anyone that comes to mind to pray for, pray for your partner, your husband, your wife, or maybe some of you have a heavy heart for your children. I had two people on my mind when I came in this morning that I would pray for. And uh, 
Um, one of them was expected. The other was quite unexpected that came to my heart. But even as I've been preaching, as I've been praying, there's a part of my gut that feels so much heavier for this person because of the suffering that they are continuing to perpetuate in their life. And they're such a beautiful soul, but they're trapped. So you keep whoever it is in your mind. Now, please don't be offended. As I pray, I'm going to use generic plural pronouns. It is not because I'm acquiescing to PC culture. It is because I want to respect the anonymity of someone that I'm praying in front of an entire congregation and an online audience for. So, so, so I have that person in my mind. I want you to think of your person. Think about it. I want you to take a look at Ephesians. Now, I've put 15 through 23. 20 through 23 is simply a doxology that you can add so that your intercessory prayer lands in a place of worship. And I would encourage you to do that. For time's sake, I'm not going to do the doxology. We're just going to pray through verses 15 through 19. So hold that person in your heart. Lord, I see this individual's face in my mind. And although they live on the periphery of my life, my heart feels engaged in spirit-led empathy for them right here in this moment. I don't know all that they need, so I turn to your word. And I just want to take a moment to pray this intercessory prayer found in Ephesians on behalf of this individual. As Paul says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Lord, I thank you that this person does have an awakening of love for you, but they are so distracted by the circumstances that they've created that it bears minimal meaning in their life. But I do thank you that there is evidence that you've awakened their heart to your love. So I start this time of intercession for this, inner, for this individual by simply saying, thank you. Thank you that you are at work. And as it says in your word in another place, I know that you who began a good work in them will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I am holding on to that promise on their behalf, even though they don't have the faith to stand on it for themselves. Thank you. I pray the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Lord, I pray I stand in the gap for this individual this morning, and I ask that you would disrupt their life with your grace. I pray, Lord, you would give to them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, which to me means I pray that you would give them the grace to come to know you better. I know that they know you from a distance. I pray you would draw them in with the spirit of wisdom and revelation so they could see the beauty of Jesus and their hearts would be captivated by the love of Christ so that they could know you more accurately than perhaps has been modeled for them in the past. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Lord, this person as much as anyone else that I know needs to be sustained with hope because their circumstance seems quite hopeless. 
And so I pray that that spirit of revelation and wisdom would birth within them hope. And not just generic hope, but hope in the reality of their calling. They may not see it, but you have purpose for their lives. And I pray that they would be dignified with the revelation that you have purpose and intent for them. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And Lord, I desperately pray for this individual that according to that intercessory prayer, as Paul prayed for the people he was praying for, I pray for them that their eyes would be open so that they would understand your inheritance in the saints, which means we are your inheritance. We are your treasure. And I pray that this person today would have an encounter in some way that would remind them that they are your treasure. And I pray that they would be given the grace to live into the dignity of what that ought to mean. And Lord, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened so that they may know what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of your strength. I know that this individual sees the limitations of their power in their circumstance. But I pray for them that they would come to understand and to know and to have faith that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that dwells right in the center of their soul. And they would recognize that your power can move in their circumstance well beyond what their limited faith and their massive doubt is allowing them to believe at this moment. Rescue them with hope and show yourself strong on their behalf. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Pray well, my friends. Look to the scripture. Grow in your vocabulary of prayer and partner with God with what he's actively doing all around you. And you won't be bored with your faith. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. He then poured the wine and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant.